The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, this is Stacey Danheiser, co-author of Standout Marketing, How to Differentiate Your Organization in a Sea of Sameness. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you're in, send me a connection invite on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Speaking of LinkedIn, this episode is sponsored by LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Every marketing campaign starts with one simple question. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? And the answer is LinkedIn, where business gets done. To get a $100 advertising credit toward your first LinkedIn campaign, visit linkedin.com slash Marketing book, linkedin.com slash marketing book. Terms and conditions apply. I'll mention more about that in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show, shall we? Today, we welcome Stacey Danheiser to the Marketing Book Podcast, talk about the book she has co-authored with Simon Kelly and Paul Johnston, Standout Marketing, How to Differentiate Your Organization in a Sea of Sameness, published by Kogan Page. Stacey Danheiser is the founder and CEO of Shake Marketing Group, a B2B marketing and sales practice based in South Florida, nice place to be this time of year, where she helps B2B organizations tune into and deliver customer value to drive business growth. Prior to founding Shake Marketing Group, Stacey spent 15 years leading marketing strategy, field marketing, and sales activation programs inside various Fortune 500 companies. She is also the co-author with Simon Kelly and Paul Johnson of Valueology, aligning sales and marketing to shape and deliver profitable customer value propositions, which was featured on the Marketing Book Podcast episode number 124, May of 2017. And interesting fact, she was born on Queen Elizabeth's birthday. Stacy, congratulations on standout marketing and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So you were born on Queen Elizabeth's birthday, and that's why you write these books with these two British gentlemen? Is that the only reason that they found you acceptable? Or <laughs> Exactly. Yes, we have that in common, so I can understand what they're saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> very, very good. Very good. Well, uh, this book I absolutely loved, and I'd like to apologize to you, your co-authors, and the listener, because we could, I could easily turn this into a four-hour interview. This book, and I, and I mean that in all sincerity, this will be episode, I don't know, three... 20 or something of the, of the 
podcast. And over the years, organizations have asked me to come and speak and say, Douglas, you know, talk to us about maybe a few of the things you've learned from reading all those books. And I'm always flattered that they think I've learned something. But what I do is kind of a milestone talk where I'll say, you know, like the five ideas that matter most for marketers from over 300 marketing and sales books. And this book touched on so many of those most important things. We talk about, you all talk about sales alignment, sales and marketing alignment. You talk about understanding your customers, talk about tying what marketers do back to revenue. This was sort of a, as I mentioned earlier to you, this was sort of a hallelujah book for me because as I was reading this, I was writing things in the columns. Well, first off, I might've been screaming out hallelujah or amen, but there were so many things where I, there were like a hundred quotes that I could steal from this book that would look so good on a on a slide <laughs> if, if, whenever we all get back to doing live presentations. But it was it was so important. And I was even writing things like, SMH, like shake my head based on some of the research findings you all had uh, that were just uh, some of them. I got to be honest with you. I I got angry. I don't know. Again, back to the felt like I was taking crazy pills, but there were also ideas that I was inspired by that I could help uh, with clients or even my own agency. So congratulations. It was beautifully uh, written. And I have over the years, there were two books that have been on the show over the last you know 300 something episodes that were really, really important, I think, for marketers to read. And I mean that by people with serious marketing jobs, uh, okay? Somebody who can see themselves going for a whole career in marketing. And one of them was mentioned in your book a few times, The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader. And another one is Marketing Flexology by Angelina Jaspers. Two excellent books that marketer the, the, the that show what the really successful marketers are doing. Now, Stacy Danheiser, there is a third book I'm going to include. This solves uh, several problems for people. We're talking about the sea of sameness and so forth. But this is such a great book for any marketing professional to read. I, I think if they read it. And they apply what's in it. Years from now, they're going to look back and say, yeah, that was one of the books that really helped me. And I say that in part because there are so many things that marketers can be doing and should be doing, but they're not going to be told to do them. You know know what I mean? In other words, uh, marketers that are waiting to be told what to do are not going to be successful marketers. They're probably not going to work in marketing very long. But the really successful ones, and I think a lot of them probably listen to this show, they are taking it upon themselves. They're taking responsibility for themselves. And this is such such an excellent um, book for for doing that. So I I felt like I just had to say that because Stacey Danheiser, I'm a ball of emotion here as it relates to your book. It really, really uh, resonated with me. Well, good. Good to hear. So I want to read from uh, a couple of sections in the beginning, and I'm maybe a little bit more than I'd normally do, but I, I just I can't resist. And uh, one thing that I want to quote from is the, uh, the foreword by Malcolm McDonald. And he's been on the show twice, and I've, I've read his marketing planning book twice, <laughs> once for the interview, and then again for something I was doing for a client. And then he's, I've also had him on the show to talk about his book on... Uh, value proposition. So when I see Malcolm McDonald uh, doing a forward for a book, <laughs> you know, I'm, not only am I a fan of Malcolm McDonald, you've now got a, a, an alpha audience fan right here you're talking to for Simon Kelly, Paul Johnson, and Stacey Danheiser. But let me quote from his 
forward where he says, all products today are excellent. Let's face it, products have to be excellent today for them to even be considered by customers. It is therefore highly unlikely that functionality will be the deciding factor. This, however, presents a major challenge for suppliers, and they have to find some way of differentiating themselves. The authors of this book cleverly spell out this dilemma by using the expression, the sea of sameness. In the fast-moving customer goods domain, in which which I knew well as marketing and sales director of Canada Dry, the big supermarkets used to refer to such products as pimply little me-toos. And guess what? Yes, they used to drive the prices of such products down. The truth is, of course, that it is the depth of knowledge the supplier has of their customers and their business that matters today, as they are then capable of building trusting relationships that don't just help them avoid disadvantage, but which create advantage for their customers. And then he goes on to say later, in a world where many see the destiny of marketing is the operational use of digital technology and software application skills, standout marketing is a welcome call to refocus management attention on strategic marketing competencies vital for achieving sustained competitive advantage and increased shareholder value. But wait, there's more. This is the most the listener is going to hear from me in this interview when I read this, uh, this section. Uh, In the uh, preface, you all write, this book was written for you, the business leader, sales and marketing professional, to help you develop the competencies to set your organization apart, advance your career, and feel job satisfaction instead of frustration. We wrote it because in our experience and from the research we have done, we know that organizations are not good at differentiating in ways that resonate with their customers. And copycat marketing and sales programs are not only ineffective, they leave your customers feeling uninspired, bored, and and unmotivated to take action. While lots of books have been written about how to advance your marketing and sales technical skills, not many books focus on what you as an individual can do to develop yourself and your team to build long-term success in marketing and sales, no matter what the new technology or technique comes on the market. And then finally, you write, ultimately, this book is here to help you answer two questions. Do our business leaders, sales and marketing people have the competency to help your organization stand out? And number two, if you are a marketing or sales practitioner, this becomes a much more personal question. Do you have the competency to help your organization stand out? So before we get started, Stacy, can you tell us tell us about the research that went into this book? Yes, absolutely. So it it actually all started a few years ago when we did a few case studies into a, um, a couple of different industries, and they're all in the book. But I'll just sort of quickly recap. We looked at the telecom industry, the data center industry, and then UK universities, and we did a scrape of their websites and Twitter feeds, and we found that. Every single one of them, the top 30 you know, global companies operating within these industries were using the exact same words. Most of them were generic business terms like services or solutions. Um, they were mostly talking about themselves. A lot of the sentences started with, we do this and we do that and we have 24 by 7 service. Um, and then they had really weak claims and promises to customers such as, you know, one of our favorites, we will help your business transform. And then when you peel back the onion a little bit, there's the answer is buy our product or get our <laughs> get our solution. Yeah. And we kept coming across this and 
when we started talking to marketers operating in these industries, they almost kind of laughed it off and joked like, yeah, we know we all sound the same. We know we're, you know, we're, we're copying our competitors and the YS story is the same. And, and we just, we were really interested as to why this was happening and why it was acceptable to be happening. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we talked with over a couple of dozen, uh, we did one-on-one interviews with over, with over a couple dozen marketing business and sales leaders across the U.S. and the U.K. We did a, a global survey with, um, with leaders as well in these organizations. We've worked with over two dozen clients and we all have come from corporate backgrounds. So where we saw this happen uh, firsthand as well. Um, so based on sort of all of that research, it really formed sort of the the premise of this book and the the punchline, which was the reason this is happening is is really a competency gap. Mm, yes. So before we get further into the book, let's take a moment and talk about value propositions. You write that value propositions are widely misunderstood concepts. So if you could, please explain what a value proposition is and perhaps what a value proposition is not. Yes. So I'm actually going to read the definition of a value proposition from our first book, Valueology, Mm -hmm. in which we call it a promise of future value, illustrating that future relevant benefits and distinct benefits will outweigh the total cost of ownership. So what does that mean? It means when you are communicating value, you're really just promising something. People don't actually experience the value of your product or service until they buy it and use it. Mm-hmm. So it's happening in the future. Um, the second point of that is that it has to be relevant and uh, relevant to the customer. So um, many times value propositions are so generic that, you know, we help your business grow. We help your business save money. We help your business transform. And in reality, there, yes, businesses face a common set of problems, but the order of priority in which a business is uh, trying to solve those problems could vary. So, you know, we've seen blanket value propositions, you know, we help save your business money that just, they don't work in times of, of significant company growth where, where cost cutting measures are not the top priority at the moment. Um, And then the third piece is that it's distinct. So, you know, how does this compare to a competitor or how does it compare to the solution that they're likely doing, which is either using internal resources or doing nothing at all? So making sure that that it stands out in that way. Let me just restate that. A promise of future value illustrating that future relevant benefits and distinct benefits will outweigh the total cost of ownership. So let's start at the beginning here. And in fact, on page one, (laughs) tell (laughs) us about the, the problems that are facing today's B2B organizations related to how they're communicating their unique value to customers? And as well as what are the problems facing the buyers these days that people don't seem to remember? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I think I think things have, you know, dramatically shifted even in the last year. But, you know, one of the, the biggest, the biggest issue with, you know, the sea of sameness that we found is that customers are just overwhelmed with choice mm-hmm. and everything looks the same. And so everything sounds the same, everything looks the same. And at that moment, they're really just overwhelmed. They're going to choose the one that looks the easiest, the best, the cheapest, um, even if that means that it might not be the best solution for them. So that's kind of the, the mindset of the buyer. And 
you know, what we found sort of on the, the customer side, the B2B organizations, is that they're just very myopic. They're, look, they're very internally focused um, and not spending enough time to really truly understand uh, what their customers want and need. And we, we saw this amplified during, you know, the early days of the pandemic. You saw some companies that quickly were able to start offering products or change um, the way they were going to market, maybe more favorable financial terms. Yes. And uh, there was a, another, there's so many here, I can't do them all justice, but there's one thing on page three, you said, so ask yourself, are you making it easy or hard for a customer to choose your solution over the competition? It's such a great question, but I wanted to go to uh, page four, the great quote here. It says, our analysis into these industries that you mentioned revealed uh, to our surprise that which companies are communicating is their main differentiator doesn't match what the original idea and purpose of what a value and brand proposition should be. And you you go on to write that almost every company is guilty of um, what you say uh, about us, uh, generic claims and, and copycat marketing. Can you can you expand on those on those things that you all found? Yes, yes. So the a lot of people when you first say what what makes your company different, they go straight to statements that have to do with years of experience. We've been in business for a hundred years. That's what makes us different. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a unique and innovative approach, which you know, is rarely the case. We have the best <laughs> products. <laughs> yeah. The best and, and what's now starting to come out is the best customer experience. You know, people are trying to own a space in customer experience, but I think there's, you know, more work to do to define what that actually is. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of statements that start with we. Mm-hmm. We we do this and we do that by definition is not is not orienting around a value proposition. So what, yes, what do you Actually, the- I like to refer to that as weeing all over yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've painted a nice picture in the listener's mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we we have a hundred years of experience. The question of course is well how does that relate to a customer and why why do they care about your hundred years of experience? What does that do for them? So that's kind of the first the first area. The generic the generic claims um, was what I was mentioning that there's just lack of proof points. So we help your business grow, we help your business save money, and so the we are all as consumers and even business buyers inundated with these messages. The question immediately that pops into our mind is, well, by how much? And prove it. Let me see. You know, everybody's out there claiming they're going to help my business grow. So we immediately go to look for the proof points that the backup why this company might actually be the answer. And then, you know, of course, the copycat marketing, what we found is, um, you know, that many, many benefit statements, the YS statement even, they all sound the same between <laughs> companies. And so, and, and they're all really, I would say, promising very, very lofty goals. Right. Like our solutions are tailored for you. And at one point, you joked about, this is where I wrote ha next to it in the column. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as if the marketing professionals at each company got together and came up with a universal way to describe their offering, value proposition, and why us story. And okay. again, just to uh, to nail this part, you say that you know the why us story on every company website typically boils. This is on page seven. Boils down to three things: <laughs> cost, <laughs> product, and people. So, I mean, those are nice things to say. 
but in other words, like uh, cost, you know, we understand you need to control cost or we offer scalable solutions to match your budget and changing demands. And the product, you say we offer tailor and customized solutions. Uh, people, we have extensive experience. Why do you think companies are still doing that? Is it just that they're not really thinking about the customer at all? Yes, yeah. So we, I think the the biggest issue is um, what I would call connecting the dots. Mm-hmm. So they are not taking it for far enough. So this is a credibility stat. We've been in business for a hundred years. That is a proof point that they have a viable business and that they've you know been around for a hundred years. the The challenge is that there's they're not taking it far enough to connect the dots as to why a customer should care. And what, a, what an individual customer in this day and age, not 100 years ago, is going to get out of working with them. So I just wanted to jump a little bit further up. And you write, the core of this book aims to address the question, why is the sea of sameness happening everywhere? Any other thoughts on why this seems to be so prevalent? And you know, honestly, before I read this book, I, I guess I didn't really notice <laughs> how it's there. <laughs> and now I see it everywhere. Yes. Well, yeah. So, so we actually cover... Um, you know, six reasons mm-hmm. why, you know, beyond sort of the competencies, the answer is the competencies, but, but we've, we kind of dug a little bit deeper. So the first one was this, you know, comfort blanket of success. So when companies are naturally experiencing success, their, their attitude is why should we change? We've been mm-hmm. successful up to this point. So there's no desire. There's no desire to change. They're fat and happy. Fat and happy, exactly, until something happens like 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The second is just depending on the culture, do they they have a risk aversion? Are they willing to try new things and experiment or are they just um, operating sort of with under that scarcity mindset and and risk aversion? Mm -hmm. The third is, you know, inexperienced management. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where I have to explain what the difference between marketing and sales is, you know, what, how to do customer research and what questions to ask your customers. Right. And, and to solve a problem. Yes, exactly. Um, the fourth we talked about a little bit, which was just inward looking. So, you know, a lot of um, conversations are happening. For example, let's say they're a company is trying to launch a new product. They'll get a group of internal people together, maybe representation from marketing and sales and the product management organization to talk about, you know, what they think a customer wants to hear. And they'll go round and round and come up with a, a launch campaign, et cetera, without ever having talked to one customer about this. And so it's a very sort of inward looking view of what, what they think customers want to hear um, versus, you know, engaging them in the process. Um, and then finally, is just laziness. So the, the, the question we asked, you know, in a lot of our interviews, we said, you know, why do you think this is happening? A lot of the marketers, the first thing they said is laziness. It's just easier for me to go to my competitor's web, uh, website, sort of look to see what they're saying, and then try to just copy and paste it and say it a little bit better. Yes. And I, I'm, I, I applaud you for getting such an honest answer from people uh, about laziness. Let's pretend for a moment that you're about to launch a campaign. It tested well. Your entire team is happy. Everything is going according to plan, except for that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? The answer 
is LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to do business. And that means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as as you launch it. Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn, and that's just one of the many reasons why more than 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform at helping their organization achieve specific objectives. LinkedIn has tools for branding and lead generation. Not only can you target and reach a professional audience down to their job title, company name, and location, but you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site or who you've contacted in the past. And to make this ridiculously easy to try, LinkedIn is giving Marketing Book Podcast listeners a $100 advertising credit toward their first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash marketing book, linkedin.com slash marketing book. Terms and conditions apply. One of the big threads that really resonated with me in the book is the necessity of talking to your customers. And the research seemed to show that there's less of that than I thought. And that's one of the things that got me so angry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I, it's like the guy in the, the, the movie Network, I think from uh, the 1970s. Says, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. That's how your book got me fired up. I was just saying, no, no, don't tell me that this, the, the problem with your book, Stacey, there's, there's uh, problems. No, no, there are no problems with the book. But reading the book was like reading a book from like uh, CEB, uh, which is now mm-hmm. part of Gartner or the guys at Corporate Visions. The problem is you backed it up with this research, which is what infuriated me because I could say, oh, no, it's not that bad. And you would show it. (laughs) So (laughs) it was a a sort of a clarion call for people to get out there and talk to their customers. A different topic, though. You explain very correctly that differentiation is not created by marketers. So differentiation and distinctiveness two very different things. Can you explain the difference and why it's so important to understand the difference between the two? Yeah. So we we explain um, differentiation as, you know, going back to that definition of a value proposition as being relevance, the relevance of value to the customer and something that is different than what everything else out there is offering. So, you know, differentiation is really hard to achieve. And we've seen this sort of in breakthrough uh, businesses like Airbnb, as an example, coming on. They, they dramatically sort of shake up how people were staying in, in hotels and motels and what the options were to just stay somewhere. And so differentiation is, you know, it's not something that, that is easy to, to achieve. And it, it comes along, um, you know, it, it comes along uh, once in a while, I would say. Mm-hmm distinctiveness is more sort of on the marketing side, which is, you know, grabbing the attention of somebody and being able to cut through the noise. And so this, this becomes a little bit more of a marketing, um, something that lives in more in the marketing world, which, you know, it's, it's how do you communicate and how do you tap into what, what customers um, care about so that you're communicating in a way that, that, um, resonates with them sort of on that emotional benefit level, functional benefit level. And maybe that that becomes, you, you could be offering the exact same product as your competitor, but the way that you communicate and, and talk about it um, is completely distinct from anybody else doing this in the market. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what's going to help you sort of break through. I get questions from listeners about building a brand or branding. And I always have to ask, well, what you know, that means different things to different people. What what does it mean to you? And the answer is always different. In other words, somebody'll say, Oh, I'm talking about advertising. Oh, I'm talking about logo design. Oh, all these different mm-hmm. all these different things. <laughs> and I don't know how to start to I, I send them some book recommendations and so forth, but so much of the the brand industry, the branding industrial complex, still seems to be of the assumption that a brand is what the marketing people say versus uh, what Jeff Bezos argues, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And that for mm-hmm. me has a whole lot more to do with your value proposition and your the way you, the kind of people you hire, uh, the, the way you deliver your services, the way you sell, that, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we get to the value competency framework, which is will form the basis of the rest of our, our conversation, um, let's jump to chapter four and talk about the role of sales and marketing in business-to-business organizations. I mentioned that there's a lot of uh, really useful information here about sales and marketing alignment. What did your research show is the most, uh, are, are the most important facets of uh, marketing and sales roles? Yeah, so we, we actually asked this question because we thought it was interesting as it relates to, you know, whose job is it to help the organization stand out? You know, we get this question a lot, as I mentioned, um, from people just trying to understand the difference between marketing and sales. You know, you've seen the trend of the chief revenue officer or chief growth officer trying to morph these two roles together. But in our view, they really do have, they each have sort of a, a role to play in in the customer life cycle um, and recognizing that these these roles are different. So, you know, the overarching sort of premise of when we said, what's the role of the salesperson? It was all about execution, first and foremost. Um, you know, jumping straight into to constantly sort of going through the list of things that they have to um, do for the day and, and being very execution oriented. Um, the second was around connecting the dots, you know, is that, you know, marketing produces content that's interesting, but it doesn't take it far enough down to a company or a customer level. I can't really use it because it's so high level that if I shared that with somebody, they would, you know, just nod their head and say, yeah, of course we already knew this versus the seller's role to, to translate uh, that into how it, how it relates to their specific customer. Mm-hmm. The third was around this concept of balanced advocacy, which is really the role of the seller sitting between the customer and understanding what the customer needs and then being able to articulate that back to the business to answer questions, issues, make changes, product enhancements, et cetera. And that recognizing their job as a seller is not to take every single thing that the customer says and go try to turn that into a project or execute against it, but to really, you know, be the bridge between um, how the company makes money and what the customer needs. Do I have a good relationship with my seller? That's really the end to the brand for the most part. So sales has a really active role on that. And then, you know, finally, what we found is that depending on the industry that the um, the person is that we spoke to, they had a different perception of, of marketing. So sometimes, you know, marketing equals branding, um, which was, you know, how, to lo- how good does our logo look and how consistent does everything look? Sometimes you would hear marketing equals communications and collateral. They're responsible for creating a whole bunch of content and any type of collateral. 
Mm-hmm. And then other times you would hear marketing is responsible for events. So, you know, we have a great <laughs> event execution team and that's, you know, marketing equals events. But it's, we're going to go way back to the basics here, the four P's of marketing. Yes, you read my mind. <laughs> and And for some reason, marketing has really what's happening now is marketing has become synonymous with the one P promotion. Yeah. And that uh, just so the folks playing the home game uh, can follow along the other three P's of that. uh, I think it was from 1960. uh, Jerome McCarthy came out with the four P's and it was product price (laughs) place, meaning how you distribute it and then promotion. You really don't want to get into the promotion business until you get the first three. And so often I'll talk uh, to companies and they'll say, you know, we've grown our business and we've never done any marketing. <laughs> and that's where sometimes I'll have to explain what you just brought up. And I'll say, really, well, how do you how do you guys price your products? And then they'll give me a long explanation. I'll say, well, that's actually marketing. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> uh, at, at any rate, yeah, it's, but it's, it's really been uh, shoehorned and probably will be for you know, certainly this generation, but it's it's much, much more than uh, just promotion. And that's why uh, I think it was um, David Packard said, marketing is too important to be left to the marketing department. Not that there's not qualified people working in the marketing department, but the uh, activities of marketing really, if they're doing it correctly, they're completely baked into their product and how they deliver it and so forth. So let's go into the value competency framework, which is the core competencies uh, for B2B differentiation, and I would argue, are the basis of a really successful marketing career, not to mention sex, successful sales career uh, for salespeople in an, in an organization. And it's uh, called the Value Competency Framework, and it's uh, V-A-L-U-E. I, I noticed that, it's, I, 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 that was well done. That was well done. I, <laughs> I see what you did there, uh, but it really uh, makes all kinds of sense. So let's talk, let's, let's go through those uh, with the, the remaining time if we can. Yes. So the value framework, we, you know, we feel very strongly that the role of the organization is to provide value. And so that, you know, that's something we, we cover in the very first section of the book. But if you think about why a business exists, it is to provide value, not only to customers, but to employees, to shareholders and to the the community at large, even partners and suppliers. Mm -hmm. So we felt, you know, that that's, we wanted to align the competencies with the, you know, ability basically to the end goal of delivering value. Right. And I think it's such a great way to focus in on what's really important. And it also involves uh, getting in touch with your customers and understanding what the value is to them. So let's go through that. The first one is visionary. What is visionary competency and, and why is it important? A visionary competency is really the ability to kind of have that 50,000 foot view. And it's to see what's happening in the landscape around you. So so being able, the, the future piece is a big component of this, looking at future trends, what's happening in the market, um, having your pulse on the customers, what, how might this um, impact your customers, looking at the competitive landscape, as we mentioned, you know, not just to go copy from the competitors, but actually to see what they're doing and, and how that might be affecting your industry. Um, and then just having a perspective of, of what, what's changed at your company. And, you know, a lot of complaints we hear from business leaders is that marketers in particular just don't have that perspective of they're so busy executing and, and creating stuff that they don't necessarily know how it fits into the overarching 
direction or, or vision of the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right that the derailers of visionary competency are a lack of critical perspective. Uh, and I think that's uh, hand in glove with being really internally focused. That's okay. just a, that. That's the uh, marketing book podcast host's opinion. That's not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not speaking <laughs> for you all. The lack of time and resources. Obviously, they're very busy, and uh, uh, you talk about a lack of diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So you say uh, visionary competency is about what gets noticed and what gets ignored. <laughs> I thought that was very interesting. What is uh, this concept of zooming that you all have? And this has nothing to do with the uh, online meeting platform. <laughs> Yes. So Zooming, we would call this the ability to, you know, focus, think of like a telescope where you can sort of zoom in. Mm -hmm. So kind of taking from that 50,000 foot view to zooming into a particular problem so that you're kind of, you you have a viewpoint of what's going on everywhere, but you can hone in like an eagle's eye to the specific prey that you want. And so Mm -hmm. that's the ability to focus is at the end of the day and, and kind of ignore all the noise and, and what's irrelevant for your business and kind of zoom into what will be the biggest impact. So let's go to the next one on Activator. This is one of those things that when you when you ask the role of the marketer, the first thing that comes up is about execution. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Activator is about doing, it's about getting things done. Um, but there's another big component of being an activator, and we like the the visual of getting everybody marching in the same direction and get approval for what they need. Yes. And again, it was kind of painful reading through that because there are so many examples where, you know, it's like the herding cats uh, and, and, you know, not just getting sales and marketing aligned, but getting the whole organization aligned and also making sure that at least what the marketer is doing is tied in with what the organization is trying to accomplish. Now, sometimes the organization may not be clear on what they're mm-hmm. trying to accomplish, but I, I've seen a lot of marketers, they're really just focused on the activity they're doing. And in fact, I've seen this at a sales meeting where a big sales meeting, <laughs> it's a billion dollar company where they bring in all the salespeople from around the country and the marketing people get up to present what they're doing. And I just see the poor salespeople thinking like, well, good luck with that lottery ticket. This doesn't really seem to be anything that's going to be helpful for me. And you all dig into that uh, quite a bit, how to <laughs> how to get the strategic direction and, and all that type of thing. So the activator, uh, just to read the description, activation competencies are required to get buy-in to initiatives that are being developed to provide differentiation in the market and to drive growth in the business. So the next one is a learner. This, again, brought to mind uh, Marketing Flexology by Angelina Jasper. She looked back on a 40-plus year career, and she saw about three things that the really successful marketers did, and one is that they were terrific learners. <laughs> and that's why I say big learners are, are, are big earners these days. And I was, of course, delighted to see this. Uh, talk about what these learning competencies are and, and, and why they're you know, so critical to develop. So being a learner actually um, goes sort of hand in hand with that visionary concept as well. Mm-hmm. So well, one helps the other. Exactly. Yep. So in order to be a visionary, um, you have to have time, you spend time to learn, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's about, it is a first and foremost, learning is about being curious. So it's having that curious mindset and and really being um, deliberate about learning new things, being open to ideas. 
we have found in our research, it was interesting, only 52% of people that we surveyed said that a dedication to learning new things was very important. But on the flip side, 90% stated that the ability to connect the dots from customer needs to company solutions is very important. And so, you know, you cannot you cannot feasibly connect the dots from customer needs to company solutions unless you are taking the time to learn about both. Right. <laughs> and so, and, and I'm not really surprised by this um, statistic that people don't think a dedication to learning new things is very important because in our research, we found that most companies have a learning and development budget and that they let their employees, you know, come to them and say, you know, which events they want to attend or seminars or trade shows. And yet several of the leaders we talked to said, I can count on one hand, like the people that on my team that come and ever actually ask to use that budget. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, again, yes. I, 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 it pained me deeply. <laughs> I saw that. Exactly. So it's, it is, I mean, it, this, this one is, I guess, sort of the premise of the whole thing. It's, it's how much time are you spending listening to podcasts like this and reading books, Thank talking, you. <laughs> talking to customers, you know, talking with your sales team. You know, one of the, the big sort of impediments to learning was around time. That, that's the number one thing that, that came up was we don't have time. Yes. And so, you know, this is all sort of preventable um, is, is taking the time to really schedule something in your day to, to make yourself better and then reflecting on that and trying to implement something new. Yes. So let's go on to uh, the next one, usefulness. Yes. So, so we describe uh, usefulness sort of in, in three different things. It's really the ability to, to connect the dots. That's what it, you know, if you think of, are we being useful? Um, but there's really three aspects to it. So the first is knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have the, the knowledge, skills, and experience that others would find helpful? This this kind of starts with here, B2B buyers in particular say that they want to work with people that understand their business. It's a, it's a number one complaint that frequently comes up, you know, as to why um, buyers don't want to engage with sellers is that they don't, they don't really understand their business. They haven't taken time to do that, to learn. Mm-hmm. The second is around sort of this idea of preparation, which is really just being proactive, being in tune with your customers, anticipating what some of their needs are, being first to, to respond to those and potentially roll out new new ideas. And then the third is timing. So this is this is something that's a trend um, happening now, but it's you know being being first to respond to a buyer inquiry and that you're um, engaged in the sales process early. And so you know one thing that's happening now is think about ourselves as consumers, and now put yourselves in the in the B2B buying situation, you know, why can't we go online and find pricing information and general timeline information for a, a, a buying a, a, a solution we would, might want to buy for our business? Mm-hmm. And that's a frustration for people. So, you know, that's basically usefulness in a nutshell is, you know, that was like on the product side, but it's the same thing too on the, the marketing content side, marketing and sales interactions. You know, you've heard the advice will just add value. And it's kind of like just be just be useful. Is this useful for somebody? You're interrupting their day. Is that are they going to find this useful? Yes. And Jay Bear wrote a book a few years ago called Utility, and it was all about being useful. In other words, so this one section of your book, Jay Bear wrote an entire book about, and it was wonderful. And it's uh, <laughs> I've used that example many times of you know, and even talking to a customer, you're like, uh, the, uh, we want to do a newsletter, and we want to talk about the projects we've done and the products we sell. <laughs> You say, would you share that? 
you know, even your mom wouldn't be interested in that. <laughs> but it's sort of like the usefulness. But I've got to mention that on page 165, there's this usefulness matrix. It's worth the price of the book. It's such a great chart. And you score yourself on one to four and it goes, oh, there must be 15 of them. But it's asking these questions that, you know, maybe a salesperson, if they don't like the content that's being produced, they could take this, the marketing folks and say, hey, guys, you know, well, more likely it would be the, the salespeople who want to talk about their own products and services. But it's like the, the very first one is, it is clear who our company aims to serve, a <laughs> score on one to four. Uh, we communicate and articulate the customer's business problem and pain points. It goes all the way down. I, I loved it. I'm, I'm stealing it. Okay. I'm telling you right Absolutely. now, <laughs> with full attribution. But I, I love that. And that was probably my favorite chapter, the one about being useful. Because if you can be useful, you know, you just have to be a little bit more useful than your competitor. You don't have to be right. perfect. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just put a toe in the water. Well, let's talk about the last one, uh, the evaluator. And I want to read from, let's see, page 173. You write, Without the ability to measure and evaluate performance, marketing can be seen as an arts and crafts function that throws parties, the coloring <laughs> in department, a cost center that provides mouse mats. Ouch! I, in fact, under that, I wrote, oh, snap. <laughs> and then at the top, it says, for marketers, evaluation is a burning platform. And it's never, it's never going to go away. The ability to evaluate if you're being effective not everything that can be measured matters and not everything that matters can be measured. You all make that really clear. And you also say there's a lot of politics involved in uh, evaluating, but can you talk about these evaluator competencies or why they're so important for, let's say the marketing people, uh, as well as for the ability of a company to stand out? Yes. So, so this is a, an age old question and problem, which is, I think there was a stat that says, you know, 50% of our marketing budget is is working. We just don't know which one. Mm -hmm. And this has been an ongoing sort of issue between the CEO, the CFO, and then the marketing function. Everybody wants to know what the ROI is of the marketing activity. And so it's it's important, you know, and I'll just caveat, and I think we, we, we didn't really address this at the beginning of the competencies, but, you know, it is important to have somebody on your team who is able to analyze data and figure out how this fits into the business landscape. Yes. And so not everybody has to be a data analyst and a data um, expert, but everybody should on the marketing team absolutely understand the business and how their activities and programs fit in. So that's basically what it's saying here is just, you know, how do you make decisions and are you collecting the right type of information that helps link marketing activity to business performance? Mm -hmm. so that you can decide there are certain projects we should be focused on and other ones we shouldn't. The other piece to this is being willing, you know, we, we um, kind of joke in marketing that there are all these great ideas that people come up with throughout the company and be able to, able to put data and analytics around some of these ideas to figure out and how you're going to evaluate whether or not you should keep doing it. Yes. And you might actually have to kill that pet project. <laughs> yes, and when somebody brings up, you know, like the highest paid person in the room whose opinion always uh, matters more, right? When somebody comes up with some of these ideas, they're coming up with, you know, these, or I like to call it a management by in-flight magazine, where uh, let's say an industrial boiler uh, CEO comes in and slaps a magazine down and says, hey, you marketing people, 
what's our TikTok strategy? Let's put it all in TikTok. It's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> slow down there. <laughs> Clearly, they've forgotten who their customer is. But also, that thing you just mentioned is one of the most important things that a marketer should be saying I want almost every day. That sounds great, boss. Um, can we also talk about how we're going to evaluate if that approach works well? Boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really baked into this chapter about uh, about the evaluator. And let's say, you know, you, you can't measure all of it, but if you can start to tie it back to revenue and sales, uh, it's going to help a lot. And I, my sense is that a lot of marketers are, are not able to do that or they're not even trying to do that. Is, did, did any of that come out in the research? Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really misunderstood um, just in terms of how, how to do it. Um, we didn't go a lot into detail. There's numerous books about about more of the how, but the aspect here is that it just should be prioritized. So, you know, let's take this down to a personal level. If you cannot show the value of the programs that you're working on, then when it's time to have a, a conversation for a promotion or a raise, you know, what are you standing on? And so this really helps an individual um, showcase the the benefit of of their role and the the work that they're doing that it's meaningful and adding value to the business. Yes, and again, this book brought up so many uh, memories and ideas of of other books that have been on the show. One of them was Rise of the Revenue Marketer by Debbie Gagish, and in that interview, she said CMOS who are related to revenue stay. CMOS who are marketers who are not related to revenue get asked to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, it's, it's as simple as that. So yeah, try, <laughs> try to connect what you're doing with uh, the revenue and the other financial metrics of your company. And again, several times in the book, you have excerpts from some of the research where people are talking about how people aren't, uh, the rest of the, the civilians in the organization, meaning the non-marketers, they're not seeing the connection with what you're doing with what the company's trying to accomplish. So let me just ask one last question about the book. Uh, and it relates to the culture. And you explain that if if the culture is not right at an organization, a lot of these things are going to be some tough sledding. What can someone do if they are in an organization where there's not a lot of understanding or appreciation for this uh, other than try to simply uh, advocate for it. I mean, should they update their resumes? You know, in some cases they may, <laughs> to be honest. Um, you know, this, this is a concept of, of organizing what, what job, it goes all the way back to the beginning. What job does the company believe they're in existence to do? <laughs> right. And so, you know, my advice on that would be that that's an interview question. Right? How does the company view themselves, and what's the the role of the company, and what are they trying to achieve? If nothing comes up that's related to adding value for customers, for for employees, for the overarching community, um, that's that's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. Um, the second piece, you know, is to start small, and you know, can you impact some change in your own in your own organization? So, you know, like I mentioned in the activator chapter, there's a whole sort of section that we talk about how to create buy-in. And so it, it would be about starting small and just trying to get a, a project off the ground that you can practice some of these things and show the benefit of the, this way of thinking. So, you know, let's let's just do a pilot project where we're going to talk to some customers. We're going to use that information to build out 
uh, something different that we've never tried before. We're going to learn from that and we're going to apply that and see if this is something that we want to do more of. Great advice. Great advice. So, Stacey, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, the first is just the title of the book. You know, we were born and meant to stand out. Mm -hmm. So that's just one is that belief that, you know, we don't have to copy what everybody else is doing and that we can try something different. And the second, as, as we've talked about, is that everyone can take ownership of their own marketing career and that we're outlining, you know, rather than getting completely overwhelmed of all of the different marketing tactical things that you need to learn, we really wanted to just sort of um, provide five competencies that will withstand any sort of scenario. Yes. And again, this will be the last time I say it, uh, Stacey. There was another book on the show uh, by Jay Akunzo called Break the Wheel. And the whole book was about the perils of following best practices. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so that whole book tied into this, the whole sea of sameness thing and the, including all the psychology at the beginning of your book about why people find comfort in that. So um, <laughs> it's almost as if you all have been listening to this show for a few years. So what's just one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the many ideas from the book? Yeah. So I, w- I would say, you know, as we talked about, there's five competencies based on the the brief description that you heard today, which one of these naturally were did, did you think, wow, we need to really improve that mm. and set aside, you know, let's just start small 15 minutes to, to actively commit to growing that particular area. So of course we provide a bunch of frameworks and tools and assessments in the book to help you and guide you, but there's a lot of other resources out there as well. It's just first and foremost about the commitment to, to growth. And instead of spending the 15 minutes scrolling through Instagram, you know, committing to, to getting yourself better in this area. Yes, this is a great lunch and learn book where you could buy it for, let's say, a whole department or maybe all your marketing and salespeople mm-hmm. and then get together once a week and work through some of these things. I, I just, I, I don't see a downside uh, to doing that. So, Stacy, what books have most inspired your work and career? Yes, well, I'll caveat by saying, like you, I love to read. So I always have about five or 10 books piled up that I'm reading at the same time. Oh. The books that I loved and continue to go back to really have nothing to do with marketing. <laughs> I asked what books, so it didn't have yes. to be marketing or sales. Yeah. So it's everything, actually, the ones I love have to do with self discovery. So mm. Strengths Finders, The Sacred Enneagram, you know, anything that's sort of revealing as to, um, how we operate. And then the other sort of genre of books that I love are are changing the way you think. So the Bible, Think and Grow Rich, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, and really anything by Dr. Joe Dispenza or Wayne Dyer. Oh, yes, yes. Well, you can't go wrong with those there. <laughs> That's terrific. I'm, I'm the same way, you know, and it's uh, interesting to find out uh, more about ourselves. So... Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or looking forward to reading? So I'm reading two books right now. The first is by Donald Miller called Business Made Simple. And it is a 60-day guide in all these different areas um, that are supposed to be making you smarter from a business perspective. And the other one is called, I think it's called 10X, 10X Growth. It's by Grant Cardone, which is about how to have sort of a 10x mindset to grow your business and and life. Oh, terrific. Well, I'll have to check those out myself. And uh, those sound like uh, 
terrific book. So at marketingbookpodcast.com, we'll include links to everything linkable to your site, to, to your LinkedIn profile, and, and so forth. So listeners can connect with you. And thank you for joining us on the show. And listener, if you uh, heard something that you want to learn more about or that that you really appreciated that Stacy shared, reach out to her, make her day, let her know you heard the the interview. And also for the listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, like Apple or Spotify, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on the show notes link. The name of the book is Standout Marketing, How to Differentiate Your Organization in a Sea of Sameness. The authors are Simon Kelly, Paul Johnston, and Stacy Danheiser. Stacy. Thank you very much for joining us on the Marketing Book Podcast. And thank you, Douglas. It was, I enjoyed it. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, LinkedIn, where business is done. Every marketing campaign starts with one simple question. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? And the answer is LinkedIn. To get a $100 advertising credit toward your first LinkedIn campaign, visit linkedin.com slash marketing book. That's linkedin.com slash marketing book. Terms and conditions apply. And speaking of LinkedIn, since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever situation you're in, invite me to connect with you on LinkedIn where we can chat and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. <music>